to stir some things up. You know, obviously over the last number of weeks, three weeks now, uh, I've been asking you the question about who's in charge around here and who's really calling the shots. And we've been talking about our spirit man and our flesh and all of these things. And uh, Galatians chapter 5 verse 16 says, if you'll walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, well, that's a, not just a principle. That's a reality for us. I mean, that's a fact for us if we walk in it. Because again, it says, if you walk you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so we've really been talking about having the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, really leading our life. And so there's another aspect, not really, I shouldn't say another aspect, but I believe, um, you know, even as I said, you know, let me just say this, by the way, next week, if you're a note taker, or even if you're not, I would encourage you to bring something to write with, because I'm going to teach you something that I actually teach in Bible school. And so there's going to be some notes uh, like when I teach this in Bible school, I print out my notes and just hand them to them and say, don't even worry about trying to write them. Yeah. Um, and normally I wouldn't teach that way, except I felt prompted by the Lord to do that specifically. Um, and so, uh, you know, maybe we'll just print out my notes for you because it'll be quite a bit. Um, but because uh, I teach differently here than I do in Bible school. And you're like, well, why? Because it's different. And, uh, you know, and so there are certain things I can assume in Bible school. Number one, everybody's saved. Like, that's a pretty safe assumption. And so I don't have to cover salvation. I can make references, and I know everybody knows. I can't make those assumptions here. Uh, you know, and so I never, and I never do, and so never want to. And so, um, you know, there's things like that. But, um, you know, specifically this morning, we're going to be looking at being filled with the Spirit. And next week, I'm going to give you uh, what I believe, um, you know, and from what I can study and from what I can tell, uh, is actually what's happening when we pray in the Spirit. Uh, you know, Jude tells us that. He says, Beloved, pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he says you build yourself up. Well, okay, well, what does that mean? And so next week, I'm actually going to kind of break that down a little bit for you and uh, into what I see in Scripture. But this morning, I want to share uh, just about being filled with the Spirit. We've been talking over the last number of weeks about walking in the Spirit. Uh, you know, and I, and I shared with you last week, even I even mentioned this, is that there's nothing more valuable to us as believers, I don't believe, in the day in which we live than the ability that God speaks to us and the ability to hear Him. I believe it's vital that we hear the voice of God. Like, not just me hear the voice of God for you, I mean you hear the voice of God for you. Yeah. I mean, I can hear the voice of God for our church. And I'm not the only one, by the way. I'm not the emperor on the throne that's just, the Lord will speak to me and that's the way it is. I don't believe that at all. But there are specific things because I am the pastor of the church. God's going to deal with me and show me, and especially in the areas of vision, direction, those types of things. Um, But there are some things also that the Lord's going to deal with you directly in. And even in the fact of if you can hear the Lord speak to you, you may come to church on Sunday and then I may preach something. You're going to be like, the Lord was just talking to me about that. That's a confirmation. That was the Lord. And so it's important that we learn how to hear from God. And so uh, I want to just share some things with you. And I may, by the end, sound like an uh, auctioneer trying to get finished with it. But uh, we'll get there. And, uh, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. And I'm just going to walk through some things this morning about uh, really the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And because there's a lot of misunderstanding, uh, even for you who may be, have been filled with the Spirit and have been for a long time, it is good to come back and to reaffirm our foundation. Uh, you know, we, are, we do believe in spirit baptism. 
doesn't make us better. It doesn't make us elite. And if you have that thought, you're in pride and you need to repent. Uh, It doesn't have anything to do, I believe, with our standing in heaven. I don't believe that we get like a special crown, like, oh, those are the spirit-filled people on earth. (laughs) We're all heirs of salvation. I don't care if you speak in tongues. If you don't, uh, it doesn't, there's nothing elite about it. Um, But at the same time, just as salvation is available to all, so is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so, but many times people are ignorant and not like in a stupid way. It doesn't mean like, well, ignorant just means unlearned, untaught. Like that's all it means. I mean, there are things that I'm ignorant of comes to a car. I'm kind of ignorant about how to fix a car. Why? Because I've never really worked on a car. But I can do a lot of other things. There's a lot of skills that I've learned through the years and a lot of things that I have just brought up. Why? Because I learned. Whether somebody taught me or whether I just had to figure it out on my own, there are things that I've learned. And so when I say that, I don't mean it like in a derogatory way. You know, and so many times it just comes to a point of... uh, Really having somebody explain and understand. Because here's the thing. For many of you, you might be spirit-filled, but you could not explain it to another person. Like, why, why biblically? You may say, well, it's in the Bible somewhere. How's that going to help them? It's not. Well, I believe it. Well, why? You ought to be able to give an account of why you believe what you believe. You know, and I believe that, that God's best is for us to be spirit-filled. Not that it makes us better. It's because we need it. <laughs> like, I mean, God sent the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he knew we needed it. And so here, I'll give you a little bit of uh, context here. And then we'll start reading in Acts chapter 1. But uh, Jesus at this point has risen from the dead. He has ascended to the throne uh, and has returned. So, you know, we, we're, in a few months we'll celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday, which, I mean, technically Jesus rose on Monday morning, but that's a whole other discussion. So, but we celebrated on Sunday. But uh, anyhow, sorry, a little side note there. And uh, we have church on Sunday, so that's when we celebrated. But So at this point, salvation has been made available, right? Why? Because Jesus has now gone and paid the price of sin, cleansed all of the heavenly utensils, which that's a whole other you want to get your theology screwed up, think about that there was that heaven was tainted until Christ took his blood there. Now, maybe sometime I'll teach on that. Maybe not. I don't know. But uh, anyhow, so he's now returned. So salvation has been finished, has been provided for him, for us in this moment. And so here in the book of Acts, it says uh, this apostle And he writes, and he says, In my first book I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. It says, During the 40 days after he suffered, or After he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. So there was no doubt that Jesus was alive. He talked to people. I mean, think about doubting Thomas. Unless I put my fist in his side and my finger in his hand, I will not believe. And Jesus says, here you go. Walk, just like, beam me in, Jesus. Like, boop, there he is, right? And he's like, do it. If you won't believe unless you see it, here you go. But then he makes the statement to Thomas and says, blessed are they who have not seen and yet still believe. Well, that's us. I've never seen the nail hole in Jesus' hand. But by faith, I believe. 
Why? Because I see it throughout Scripture. And it says, so he proves that he was actually alive. And it says he talked with them about the kingdom of God. It says, uh, once when he was eating with them, he com- or commanded them. Now, realize he didn't suggest. He commanded. In other words, this was not optional. He said, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised. The gift. The gift that he promised. He says, as I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now again, let me just clarify this. Is salvation available at this moment? Yes. Why? Because Christ has ascended. Now he's come back. Salvation is available. And yet Jesus, the Savior, himself makes the statement and says, In a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit post-salvation. Because the disciples at this point are no longer just hoping for something in the future. It's now here. And so it goes on here in verse 6. And it says, So when the apostles... Uh, were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and, and restore our kingdom? And he says, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It says, after this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. And they could no longer see him. And as they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring at heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And so that's that whole... Because a lot of times I I even quote verse 8. That's it in context of what was happening in that moment. And Jesus gives them one instruction... Which is what? Go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. There was a promise on this side of salvation that Jesus told the first heirs of salvation, go and wait. I have something else for you. It's a gift for you. Now, even here where it talks about in verse 5 where it says, uh, or sorry, in verse 4 it says, Don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift that he promised. This promise comes out of John chapter 7. And many of us know this verse, I quote it quite often, but he says in verse 37, On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowd, Anyone who is thirsty may come, and anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now next week, we're going to spend all service looking at that phrase, rivers of living water, because it's plural. And that's significant, and we're going to look at what I believe to be true in this. So anyhow, that's next week though. Verse 39, when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not entered into his glory. Okay, well in Acts chapter 1, did Jesus ascend while they were watching? Yes, they did. Why? Because what does the angels, the angels appear and say, hey, why are y'all staring up into heaven? Christ has gone to glory. So the promise was this, is that the Holy Spirit would come. Now, when Jesus made the statement, he says, he's speaking of the Spirit, but the Spirit had not yet been given because Christ had not yet entered glory. The moment that Christ entered into heaven, after the sacrifice of him on the cross, the Holy Spirit and the availability of the Holy Spirit to now come and live and reside on the inside of every one of us all the time was available. 
You go and look throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord would come upon people, but He did not stay with them. It was momentary. And that's the way that people lived in the Old Testament. The problem is there's many Christians today who live in the same manner as they did in the Old Testament. Well, I'll, I'll walk in the Spirit when I feel the Spirit. No, you missed the whole point. The Spirit lives in you. You don't have to wait for the Spirit. Sometimes you may have to take a step of faith in that area to say, well, I don't feel anything. Well, when are your feelings correct? Sometimes we have to take steps of faith in a direction saying, God, you're going to meet me even as I step. Give you an example of this from the Old Testament. With Moses and Joshua. Moses walked up to the water, slapped the water, and what happened? Water parts, right? Well, Joshua walks up to the river and he says, hey, you know, I've got Moses' staff. I'm going to do the same thing. Nothing happens. He stepped in the water ankle deep and the water parted. The same result, but God says, hey, you've got to take a step before I'm going to move for you. See, we see this, and it's true, and so many times I think that, that we have the thought, well, if God was here, if God was working in me, I would feel it. Well, you're basing things off of a feeling versus knowledge. The Bible, the Bible says about it, concerning Scripture that we have an even greater word than even a prophetic word to us, which is the written word of God. I should have more confidence in the Word of God than if a complete stranger walked up to me and said, the Lord just said, da-da-da-da-da, and be like, you're right. Oh, my God, it was God. So is the Bible. For us, the written Word of God is more firm for us. And so, but even in the area, when we're talking about even the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Jesus makes it very clear to them. I mean, Christ is no longer on the earth. The Bible says that he's seated at the right hand of God. So right now, he's seated in a place of honor and authority and glory. So the Holy Spirit has been made available to all. It's not a select few. It's not for the good Christians. It's not for the, the you know, religiously sound Christians or people who really know the Bible. You can be absolutely biblically clueless and get filled with the Holy Spirit. You don't have to know anything about it. Sometimes I think it's easier if you don't know anything about it to get filled with the Holy Spirit because you get head knowledge and then it gets in the way. And then it's like, oh, I'm trying to make this thing happen. I'm trying to do all these things. And Lord, why can't? Look, that was my problem. This little thing between my ears, that got in my way forever, for a long, 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 long time. Why? Because I'm trying to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out. There's no figuring it out. It's a gift. I mean, I, you know, I never thought... Growing up, that I do I deserve this birthday gift? No, it's my gift. Doesn't matter if I deserve it, it's it's mine, man. <laughs> Max thinks every gift is for him. It doesn't matter what, what it is or what it looks like. He's hey, wrapping paper, let's start opening. Tissue, that's gotta come out of here. Let's see what's in here. He just thinks they're all his. You don't deserve a gift, you have to receive a gift. See, the, the value is determined by the one who gives the gift, not the one who receives it. So God determines our value in that he says, I want to put my Holy Spirit in you. Now, I understand that there's lots of, um, of questions many times, depending on your background, depending on what you've been told or taught or raised with. I understand there's many different backgrounds, many different thoughts. Let's just stick with the Word of God. I always side with the word over anybody else's opinion. I don't care how much I respect them. 
Why? Because ultimately the Word is the standard above anybody else's opinion. And so we see here where Jesus tells them and says, Look, you guys go and wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit to come. Now over in Acts chapter 2, we see here in verse 1, and this is really the fulfillment of what Christ just told them in chapter 1. It's called the day of Pentecost, which has significance um, not so much to us, but it means a significant when you under a significant amount to the Jewish culture when you understand their festivals and their feast. When really there was Passover, which was when the sacrifice was made, which Jesus, I mean, there's all kinds of it's pretty neat if you actually look into it. Jesus fulfilled everything about Passover. Because there's, you know, I mean, you go read some of the festivals and some of the things that they did for that. Well, 50 days later came Pentecost, which let me just help you out because a lot of people are like, Pentecost, that's, that's something weird. The word penta, think Pentagon, it's a five-sided building. Cost is 10 times, so five times 10 is 50. That's all the word means. It's not any more difficult than that. There's no sub-meaning. It means 50. It's real scary. I understand. But yet people hear Pentecost and they're like, oh, I don't know about that. That's that weird stuff. It means 50. Let me just settle you real quick. It's 50. This is 50 days after Christ rose from the dead. Now, when you understand the festivals of what's happening, Jesus is fulfilling Old Testament festivals. God said, take seven weeks and a day. Seven weeks and a day, Jesus rose from the dead. I'm sorry, when he rose from the dead, that 50 days later they would celebrate um, Pentecost. Even in the Old Testament, there's all these festivals. So Christ is risen from the dead. 50 days later, Jesus rose up. 50 days later, this happens. See, God predicts everything. There's nothing by chance in Scripture. Everything. And if I had time, I, maybe we'll unpack that at some point. But, um, you know, but he fulfills it perfectly. And so it says here in verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. It says, And suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. It says, Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. It says, And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Another translation says, In other tongues, as the Spirit gave them the ability. It says, at that time, there were devout Jews uh, from every nation living in Jerusalem. It says, when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. It says, they were completely amazed. How can this be? It says, uh, these people are from Galilee, yet we all hear them speaking in our native tongues, or in our native language. So what happens is, you have the early church... It's really the the genesis of the church in this moment. The Holy Spirit shows up to validate the church that this is the bride of Christ. So really, if you want to get very technical about it, I believe the mark of the move of the Holy Spirit is what validates a church being a church. Now, it doesn't mean that the move of the Holy Spirit has to look the way that I understand it or you understand it. Let me just say this. You can't get saved without the move of the Holy Spirit. So... I'm not saying that from a doctrinal standpoint of, well, these churches are good churches and these aren't. Now, there are churches just like ours where the Holy Spirit's not moving. So, it's not a doctrinal or denominational statement. It's an individual case-by-case church 
There's not good denominations and bad denominations. There are good churches that allow the Holy Spirit to move. And there are churches that prefer not to have that happen. That's the criteria. And yet, here what happens is, is that at this time, you have many ethnic groups, many nations, many people from different languages, different backgrounds. And all of a sudden, the disciples come out of the upper room and they begin to speak in tongues. Now, the Bible says it's as the Spirit gave them the ability to do it. So we're not the ones who caused this to happen. We have to yield to it. But we also do have to receive it by faith. Now, the Holy Spirit is not a wind. He's not a noise. He's a person. I'll show you this here in a few moments. But, you know, so he's not, as it says, like a a fire, a a tongue of fire was on top of each one of theirs. You have to receive it by faith. God's not going to force anything on you. So, you know, let me say it like this and to help you, I believe, and this ties in with what we've been sharing, is that Jesus came to put us in right standing with God. Jesus came so that unrighteous men and women could become righteous men and women in the eyes of God. The Holy Spirit comes so that we can live righteously. He gives us the ability, the power to walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So Jesus came so that we could now be righteous. The Holy Spirit comes so that we can live in a way that honors what Christ has done for us. He comes to empower us. And so to receive the Holy Spirit, you have to receive Him by faith, just as you received uh, salvation through Christ by faith. I didn't like get saved and all of a sudden have a tattoo that had a number that says, here's my salvation number. <laughs> like I have nothing on me that guarantees my salvation other than my heart. I mean, I don't mean this wrongly. I don't need a certificate to tell me that I'm saved. I know it in my heart. Why? Because the Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that what? That I am a child of God. That's what the Bible says. And so, you know, it's, so you have to receive it by faith. Now, I'll just tell you up front, I am one of those people that struggled in the area of receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I was trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out, trying to figure it out. You know, you got people saying, you got to let go. Some people say, you got to hold on. You got this, you got that. Man, it's just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if you, I'm just confused. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. Oh, you just got to, you got to, you got to yield. Oh, you got to talk. You got, you know, Holy Spirit's not going to move your tongue. Well, if he doesn't, what am I supposed to do? I'm confused here, people. Am I the only one that's ever been confused by church? Like, like just tell me what you want me to do because I'm not real clear right now. I'm just kind of confused. Especially if you've prayed, been prayed with, like I was, probably 12 or 15 times. Because then it's just like, good Lord. But this is what I know. When I got hungry enough, I didn't care what anybody else said. I went after God and I began to pray in the Spirit. My hunger mattered more than my knowledge. My desire mattered more than understanding. There are still aspects that I don't understand about speaking in tongues. Praying in the Spirit. I don't have to understand it all. I just said this a few minutes ago. I don't, I don't know much about a car, but I know how to get in and turn the key and utilize it to my advantage. Right? So I don't have to know the ins and outs to use a car. Well, I don't have to know the ins and outs of speaking in tongues to receive the benefit, the blessing, the, what God intended for it to be in my life. And the same is true for you. So knowledge is not necessarily a prerequisite. As a matter of fact, as I said earlier, sometimes I think it's a blessing if people don't know. Because you don't have to unlearn nothing. 
And unlearning is a lot harder than learning. You know, and so sometimes we just need the help of the Lord. And so we have to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit by faith. And so it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not even a physical manifestation. He is a gift from Jesus that has to be received. The Holy Spirit is a gift from the Holy Spirit that has to be received. Let me read you this. It's in Acts chapter 2 verse 38. I'll tell you what. Hold on. Let me back up. No, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me back up. Verse 32 of Acts 2. He says, God raised Christ from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Verse 33 says, Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven, at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him, being Christ, the Holy Spirit to pour out on us, just as you see and hear today. Peter is telling, this is the middle of Peter's message to them. So if you really, again, you want to get technical about it, you can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. You can't get filled with the Holy Spirit without Jesus. I mean, it's that simple. Why? Because the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin, therefore we receive salvation. Well, here it says that God gave Jesus the Holy Spirit to pour out on us. Now, you know, and so we see this. Verse 36 says this, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has placed or has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Master. Verse 37 says that Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? In other words, there was, there was not, I don't even want to call it a conviction necessarily. What it was is that it struck a chord and a hunger in them that says, I need that. I want that. There's something in me that I don't know about. And Peter responds in verse 38 and says, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. That's salvation. And be baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins. That's water baptism. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now let me just say this up front. You don't have to be water baptized to get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God is not legalistic in A, B, C, and all the boxes got to be checked. Like, let me see your salvation card. Let me see your water baptism certificate. Okay, now we can pray with you for the Holy Spirit. I have seen people that got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit all in the same moment. I've seen people that got water baptized and came out of the water speaking in tongues. No one prayed for them to receive the baptism. But they were hungry and God met their hunger. So that's what matters more than anything. And so it's not, you know, and so again, it is a gift from God that Jesus brings to us to be filled up. Why? So that we can live in a greater strength than what we can in and of ourselves. It's another dimension that God has for us. Now, I know that, uh, you know, some people may say, well, I thought I got the Holy Spirit in me when I got saved. You did, in a measure. But this is how I would equate it. It's the difference of taking a glass and going and dipping it in a lake and drinking the glass versus jumping off a cliff and into the water. (laughs) Both of them you can get a drink with, but one of them is complete immersion, and it's a whole different kind of experience. I mean, take the cup of water and just pour it over your head. Oh, I got a little wet. Okay. The other one is everything is soaking wet. There's a difference. Now, let me show you an example of this from Scripture, Acts chapter 19. Man. Woo! Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. 
praise the Lord for technical glitches. Acts chapter 19 verse 1 says, When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior region until he had reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found several believers. And he said, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They were saved. When you believed, did you receive the Holy Spirit? No. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I like to say it like this, the Holy Who? I told Derek yesterday, I was like, I'm going to do a sermon called that one day. I'm going to do a whole series called the Holy Who, just because I like the word. I just like the way it sounds. That, was their, that would be the response in my mind. Verse 3. And then he says, then in what baptism did you experience? They responded and said, the baptism of John. Paul says, John's baptism called for repentance of sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. It says, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul laid his hands on them. We are a church that believes in the laying on of hands, by the way. In case you were wondering. It says, then Paul laid his hands on them. And the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in other tongues. And they began to prophesy. And there were 12 men in all. Now, we may not lay hands in the way that you are familiar with. I'll do anything the Lord instructs me to do. But we have the opportunity for anybody to have their hands laid on every week at the altar. You just got to walk down here and say, hey, the Bible says if you'll lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. Will you put your hands on me and pray for me? It's just a different manner in which we do it. Doesn't mean that we don't believe in it. But yet here, it says when Paul laid his hands upon them, they had the desire. There was a step of faith. Paul laid his hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. It was that simple. No big fuss, no big, just that simple. So let me answer the question, which is this. Why, why do I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Why do I have to speak in tongues? Part of it is, I ain't got an answer for you. Part of it. Part of it. Other than this. Jesus commanded the first disciples, don't move past step one until the Holy Spirit shows up. This is the way I would say this, is that don't think you can live out salvation by yourself. You're going to need some help. He is the Holy Spirit who is your helper, your advocate, the one who comes alongside, your strengthener, your standby. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He is the Spirit of Christ. He's no different. Jesus said, look, that the paraclete, that's the name in Greek. He says, one who is identical in makeup as me is coming. That when I ascend to glory, the Holy Spirit's coming down. Now, the, now you can ask, and this is an easy, was the Holy Spirit not already in the earth? I mean, you go look at Genesis 1, 1, 1, 2. The Holy Spirit's there. So, really, it's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't here. But in which he functioned concerning us changed in that moment. So, but let me read you a couple verses. This comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now, let me give you some context about this. But I want you to kind of, so you'll have to just stick with me because there's some things he points out. Paul is specifically giving instructions here concerning order in a church service, right? So, like in a public gathering. What he is not saying is that this is how you should uh, handle things in your own private time with the Lord. So, don't read something into this that's not there. But he does say several things here. Number one, uh, verse one, he says, let love be your highest goal. 
So that should be our highest goal. He says, but you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit brings or the gifts of the Spirit, especially the ability to prophesy. He says, for if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will only be speaking to God. Since people won't be able to understand you, you will be speaking by the power of the Spirit. This isn't you making it happen. It's the Holy Spirit doing it. He says, but it will all be mysterious. In other words, your understanding, your mind is not going to get it. That's right. There's a disconnect there, but it is a heavenly language. And Paul says, you will be speaking directly to God, but it, you, you won't understand it. Verse 3 says, and one who prophesies strengthens others and encourages them and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. When we're talking about a private prayer language, I'm strengthening myself. You're strengthening yourself personally. But one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish that uh, you all could speak in tongues. But even more, I wish that you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. Unless someone interprets um, what you are saying. So the whole church will be strengthened. Now, he's giving instructions in a public setting as this. But he also says, look, that when you pray in the Spirit, what's happening? You're strengthening your spirit, man. Go read Jude. Um, there's only one chapter, but it's verse 20. It, it, it affirms this. The Bible says, let everything be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. So go get a couple verses to back up. Well, I just gave you two. And I could back up with even more than that. But, but that's what it says here in verse 18. Because you could say, well, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But Paul makes the statement in verse 18. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul is not diminishing the gift of tongues. What he's trying to do is to bring some order to some chaos that they were having in a church service. So he's not diminishing our personal prayer life. Us being filled with the Spirit, with the ability to now speak in a divine language. You have a direct line to heaven when you pray in the Spirit. Why is it mysterious? Because the enemy would love to decode it. But he can't. If he could, he would. He is absolutely helpless, powerless, and dumbfounded. I think he's kind of nervous. What are they praying? What's going on? This is, man, I, I, I got to get them distracted. If you don't believe me, start praying in tongues and see how long it takes till you start thinking about things that you forgot about. Yeah. It's amazing. Amen. You're like, man, the Lord's just speaking to me. Tell me everything I forgot today. No, that's the enemy trying to get you off track to keep you. Why? Because he knows he is absolutely 1,000% powerless in that moment. Amen. And it makes him nervous. Amen. So you can do like I do. I have a deal on my phone. Like a to-do list. Things come up. Thank you, Deb. Thank you, Deb. I'm going to remember to do that later. I'm just going to keep on praying. (laughs) Eventually, he'll stop reminding me of stuff. But until then, he just helps me be a little bit more effective. (laughs) So you can ask the question. Because here's another question. Can the Holy Spirit still be received today? Because there's a lot of people who would say, well, the Holy Spirit's passed away with. That would be, you know, a lot of people hold to that. Okay, well, what does the Bible have to say about that? Again, don't take my word for it. I'm going to show you some scriptures about this. It's again, back over in Acts chapter 2, verse 39. He says, this promise being the Holy Spirit, because right before that it says, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39 says, this promise is to you. 
So he's talking to the apostles or to those people that day, the crowd that had come. It's to you. It's to your children and to those far away. All who have been called. All. All. All who have been called. By the name of the Lord our God. If you're saved, you're part of that all. That's the only qualification to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's the only thing you got to have. You cannot get filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and not be saved. If you're saved, you are absolutely 100% eligible for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Without exception. Because I know people get off and they're like, well, the Bible says there's a gift of tongues. That's a whole different thing that it's talking about. It's not even the same. That's right. We're talking about the same thing at that moment. So don't let theology or people's opinions confuse you in that. Let me say it this way. Don't let maybe a lack of understanding or misunderstanding keep you from God's gift for you. God has a gift for you. That word far away there means uh, to people who are far in the future and even to the Gentiles. There was a guy named Cornelius in the book of Acts that the Lord spoke to Peter in a, in a vision. And says, go to... And he's thinking, I can't take salvation to the, to the Gentiles. And then God quickly corrects him. And says, are you going to say who I say can't be saved? Or who I say can be saved cannot be? Basically says, Peter, shut your mouth and go down the road. That's my translation, the short version of that. And it says that he walked into Cornelius' house, who was a Roman officer, who was very kind to the Jews, was very gracious to them in many ways. And he had been giving, uh, saying prayers and had given much to the Jewish people to take care of them. And it even says Peter was shocked when he prayed for their salvation that they all began to speak in tongues. The whole family. So it's not a, well, I'm not a, I'm not a Jewish person. Neither was Cornelius. They had a whole thing called, uh, oh shoot, what's it called? The Council of Jerusalem, where they had to come up and kind of say, hey, what do we believe? And they were like, well, we got to answer the Gentile question because the Gentiles are getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And we don't know what to do about that. And they finally just said, well, apparently it's the Lord. It's part of our basis of what we believe now. It happened approximately 70 years after the resurrection of Christ. So we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's desire, He has a gift for you. Just like salvation is a gift that we receive, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift that we have to receive. So you can be filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way that the disciples were, that the 120 in the upper room were, the same way that many of us in this room have been. It's no different. We're not any different than you. We're not special didn't do anything to deserve it. It's not like, you know, well, you got to walk with the Lord for a couple of years and figure this stuff out. The longer you wait, the harder it's going to be. I'll be honest with you. Because you start getting head knowledge and you start getting ideas. You know, and it's not, not anything that we do or that we accomplish. So here's the question. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? It's really simple. And I say it's really simple as somebody who really struggled for a long time. I'll tell you, and I've shared this before, but when, when I got filled with the Holy Spirit, no one ever touched me. No one prayed for me. I had struggled trying to find my prayer language, if, you, if that's, I guess that's the best way I can say it. 
And a, a gentleman at the end of a worship service stepped up and said, I believe there's some of you here who have really desired to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but for whatever reason you've that if that's you, come down here. About halfway walking down the aisle, I began to speak in tongues. Why? Because it wasn't the form that mattered. It was the heart. And I had responded because I said, that's me. Now, I'd been asking the Lord, man, Lord, I, I see it in Scripture. I don't really understand much about it. I think I've got a lot more questions than I do answers, but I want it. And God met me right there. And so it's real simple to receive the Holy Spirit in, in concept. But if you're like me, you're going to have to get past some mental hurdles. And people have all these funny ways of saying it, but quite honestly, there's, your desire matters more than anything else. And so very simply, this is how you re- receive the Holy Spirit. Number one, you ask for it. You acknowledge it. Man, Lord, I see that you have a gift for me and I want that gift. I'm not going to leave that tree, that, that, that gift underneath the Christmas tree. I'm going to open it. I want the Holy Spirit. I, I want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit at, at a dimension that I've not known to this point. I see through Scripture that you have something more for me and I want that more. And I realize I don't have to earn it, but it's free. It's a gift. And Jesus said that I needed it to live righteously, to live in a way that would honor God. And I need the, the help of the Holy Spirit. I need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So you ask. Number two, you yield. It's that simple. Now, for me, yielding was difficult. Today, it's as easy as taking my next step. I can start praying in the Spirit any moment I want. I try to do it as often as I can. A lot of time, if I'm in the truck by myself, I take that time and I start praying in the Spirit. Why? Because it's just this constant connection. You know, I never, I never step into any pulpit ever that I've not first submitted my tongue in the area of speaking in tongues to the Holy Spirit before I ever utter a single word in English before anybody. Ever. Without exception. I've been preaching for 15 years probably. Never. As a matter of fact, I probably spend more time praying in the Spirit than I do study. I'm pretty certain on that one. I received communion this morning. I started praying in the Spirit. Why? Because it's life. It's strength. It's ability. And so there may be some of you here that you're like, man, I am filled with the Spirit. Okay, well, let me ask you this. When was the last time you actually spent some time praying in the Spirit? I don't mean like an hour. I mean like five minutes. Ten minutes. Are you taking those moments to use that gift that God has intended for your blessing, your strength, your benefit? For that sensitivity that God wants you to have. You're like, man, I want to hear God's voice. Here's the best thing you can do. Man, I'm, in, I'm at a crossroads. Man, it just seems like God's not talking to me. Great, start talking to Him. Yeah. <laughs> start praying in the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you how many times I've, I've walked up to a moment and said, I don't know what to do. I just start praying in the Spirit. Amen. And it may not mean just that day. I mean, it may, may be a period of time where I just kind of take that prayer time to another level. I just, and it's not hours here and hours there. It's five minutes here. It's five minutes there. It's ten minutes here. It's, you know, you can find those times. Why? Because when you pray in the Spirit, what's happening is that you are building yourself up. It's like taking spiritual adrenaline. It will quicken your spirit, man. 
How do you overcome the flesh? You walk with the Spirit. You enact the Spirit in your life. And that's the way that this works. And so what we're going to do is...